Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life and not get tough. Or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas. Today with episode 417, it is April 15th, 2010. It is tax day. More accurately, I believe every day is tax day because you get taxed every day whether you know it or not. We're going to be talking about that today, but today is the day where you better file your taxes from last year or they will come and get you at the point of a gun and take you away for not paying your tribute to the king. Uh, it's really not much different than that, honestly, and we'll talk about that today because today we're going to talk about reducing your tax footprint. Uh, we'll get into exactly what I call a tax footprint, what it means, and how you can reduce it in just a minute. Before we do that, though... Uh, in honor of tax day, uh, let's uh, take care of our housekeeping today. Housekeeping item number one is taking care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by supporting the show and making sure it's here every day. Sponsor of the day number one, Tactical Response Gear, James Jager's operation. Check it out. They have everything that you could possibly want from a tactical standpoint. Really great stuff. Somebody in the forum once said they are like the uh, addict's crack dealer if you're into the tactical stuff. That's some great training, both on-site and by DVD. I recommend you check out those options as well. And James is a stand-up guy and a guy that really knows what he's talking about when it comes to dealing with confrontations like we talked about yesterday. Moving on from there, sponsor of the day number two, the Lifesaver 4000 is a portable water filtration bottle that filters down to 0.015 microns, again, down to 0.015 microns. And what that allows you to do is make clean water available anywhere that you go, because if you filter down to 0.015 microns, you're actually filtering down below the size of viruses and bacteria, not just filtering out typical things that most water filters would filter out. So, the Lifesaver 4000 gives you safe, clean water to drink anywhere you go. The creator was inspired by the disasters and the tsunami and the, the lack of fresh, clean water that people had after that happened uh, to create this product. Next up, I want to remind you to connect with us online. You can connect with us uh, through Twitter, through Facebook, through YouTube, uh, and a lot of other ways, including our forums. So make sure you connect with us. I also want to give you an announcement. I do have apps coming. Um, I am working with a company right now, and the Survival Podcast will soon have our own apps. And for those of you without smartphones, I'm talking about things that go on your phone to stay in touch with the Survival Podcast. We will have an iPhone app, an Android app, and a BlackBerry app as soon as these people can get their head out of their, uh, well, we used to call it fourth point of contact in the Army. You know what that is, your ass. So as soon as they get their heads out of their ass and actually get uh, get moving on this thing for me, I'll have apps available for you guys as quickly as I possibly can that will let you stay in touch with all our social media through one application. Uh, last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, 20 members-only videos, over $100 worth of free ebooks, discounts from about 20 vendors. And we just added a, a new vendor yesterday. I'm really excited about this. Kelly, uh, known as Cart Pusher on the forums, worked really hard to put together a site uh, selling some really great stuff. And the site's called survivalgearbags.com. There's a heck of a lot more there than gear bags. Really cool stuff. Uh, all member support brigade members now get 10% off. Uh, at survivalgearbags.com. And uh, we're dealing with a forum member there, a community member has been part of our forum and our community for a very long time. So that's cool. So even if you're not in the MSB, you know what? Check out survivalgearbags.com today and uh, see what one of your own fellow community members has done in putting together a business of their own. We'll be mentioning putting together a business of your own today and how that can help reduce that tax footprint uh, in just a second. Because real quick, I also want to remind you, one of our sponsors, the Berkey Guy, is running a contest. Uh, where he's giving away a bunch of free Berkey stuff. All you got to do is enter the contest. Details are on the forum, and I'll put a link in today's show. That wraps up the housekeeping, including the intro segment, four minutes and 17 seconds flat. Not bad, huh? All right, let's get going. And I'm, I'm proud of that because you guys just got last week a taste of what commercial radio was like once again uh, with my interview on the Balding and Blonde show. So today, again, what we're going to talk about is your tax footprint. Now, um... I've been working on this show in my head for about two weeks now, thinking i got to do something for tax day. And I came up with the term this morning, tax footprint. And I thought, 
that's cool. I bet no one else has come up with tax footprint. Uh, and this is my term. So I went online and I searched for tax footprint on Google with quotes around it. So I find an exact match. And I found lots and lots of magic. So it's not my term. So I thought of it myself, but I don't get credit for it. But I, I am going to tell you what I think a tax footprint is and how you calculate one. And I'm going to tell you, first of all, where the term came from for me. As, as anybody who listens to this show regularly knows, i uh really tired of the global warming bullshit. And, and I, that's what I call it. It's bullshit. Some of you guys don't like me to use words like that. I'm sorry. Uh, when I get to a point where I feel that way about something, I express myself. And that's how I feel about Al Gore and his minions. Um, I think there's a tremendous amount of pollution going on out there. I think that we're destroying our planet in a lot of ways. And there's so much pollution being released by industry. The last thing we should be worried about is carbon. Maybe we should focus on things like, you know, mercury uh, and a lot of the uh, things like dioxin and other toxins that are being released uh, through so many uh, activities. But I like the concept of a footprint because what a footprint does is it tells us what contribution we're making. That was what the... uh, the carbon footprint people wanted to do to make you feel guilty. Look at how much evil carbon you're producing, you even ex- evil exhaler. And, and I thought, you know, if I want to look at a real problem in our world today, it's our government. It's our government that in spite of how much money they collect, they keep spending twice as much as we give them. They keep doing things with our money that we don't want, and the things that we do want, they do poorly and fail with, like, oh, our school systems. So if we're contributing... Uh, the maximum amount that we possibly could from our activities to taxation, we're creating a great big, huge tax footprint. And there's a two-edged sword to paying taxes. One is, if you're trying to become independent, self-sufficient, and free, every dime that they take from you, you no longer have for your own efforts. And that's the easy one to understand. No one likes to pay taxes because... You feel the pain of the money going out. But what we don't think about is every time we give these people a dollar, they use it to borrow a second dollar. So every dollar you pay effectively creates $2 in government spending. And that's just based on the deficit right now. You can see that happening. So every dollar you pay in is one less that you have, and it's two that will be used by governments to create more things And many of those things will be things that you don't want. So you can see how destructive your tax footprint is to your own quest for liberty, self-sufficiency, and independence. In fact, Joe Biden, our vice president during the campaign, said it is patriotic to pay taxes. You should feel good about paying taxes, folks. It's your patriotic duty. I say Joe Biden is full of shit, and it's easy to say that when you're a multimillionaire and uh, you've dodged every tax hole you can create. You've spent your entire life in government creating loopholes for yourself. I'll tell you that I think patriots today are the people that are standing up to the government saying you've gone too far and you've gone way too far and we've had enough and we're going to rein you back in. And one way we can rein them back in is to give them less money. See, for every dollar that you don't pay them in taxes, that's $2 that they don't have to spend to do crap that you don't want. Does that make sense? So I'd say it is your patriotic duty to avoid paying taxes wherever you can legally. Trust me, you're not going to get into any nonsense today with me where it's going to be like, hey, you know what, it's unconstitutional, man, to pay taxes. I agree with you, but you better pay them because you're not going to get away with that. That reporting zero income stuff and all, you know what happens to people who do that? Eventually they get caught and they go to jail. So you pay your taxes, but I'm going to talk today about how to pay less legally, and I'm going to talk about a lot of taxes that we don't even think about. And on that note, what taxes do we pay other than income tax, Social Security tax, and Medicare? Uh, I found this cool site called GoodCitizen.org, and it's a list. And it's not all the taxes we pay. The title is Some of the Taxes Americans Pay Each Year. And I'm going to go ahead and read to you their list, and it's going to make your head spin when you start realizing what we actually pay. So here are some of the taxes that we pay that we typically don't even think about, and many of them are paid on a daily basis. Accounts receivable tax, building permit tax, capital gains tax, CDL license tax, cigarette tax, corporate income tax, court fines, which are indirect taxes, the dog license tax, federal income tax, federal unemployment tax, fishing license tax, food license tax, uh, fuel permit tax, gasoline tax, hunting license tax, inheritance tax, 
inventory tax, IRS interest charges on inventory to businesses, IRS penalties on top of tax, liquor tax, local income tax, luxury taxes, marriage license tax, Medicare tax, property tax, real estate tax, septic permit tax, service charge taxes, social security tax, road usage tax, uh, which pays charge to truckers. Of course, you pay that when you buy things. It's not free. Sales taxes, recreational vehicle taxes, road toll booth taxes, school taxes, state income tax, state unemployment tax, telephone federal excise tax, telephone federal universal service fee tax. Telephone federal, state, and local surcharge taxes. Telephone minimum usage surcharge tax. Telephone recurring and non-recurring taxes charged. Telephone state and local tax. Telephone usage charge tax. Toll bridge taxes. Toll tunnel taxes. Traffic fines. Trailer registration tax. Utility taxes. Think I'm done? Vehicle license registration tax. Vehicle sales tax. Watercraft registration tax. Well permit tax. Workers compensation tax. And the little comment at the end here says, not one of these taxes existed 100 years ago, and our nation was the most prosperous in the world, had absolutely no national debt, had the largest middle class in the world, and mom stayed home and raised the kids. What the hell happened? Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I can think of at least 20 taxes that aren't on this list, but I'm not going to make this show um, just a, a list of taxes. But I just wanted you to kind of get this, because remember earlier this week I had the question from a guy that says, but Jack, if we all paid no income tax, uh, how would government do anything? Well, there you go. There's your answer. Only one item on that list was federal income tax. And there's so many taxes. And what I want you to understand, I, I guess this is really important, that cash flow makes tax grow. That that is a saying you should get into your head because it will help you become conscious of what you're doing every day to make that tax footprint bigger. Again, it's cash flow makes tax grow. And, and, and it is the case. And what I mean by that is you don't have to earn money to pay tax. All that has to happen is you have to put money into circulation and it starts generating taxes almost like one of those uh, – you know, one of those perpetual motion machines that they would uh, make jokes with in the cartoon, you know, like uh, Tom was going to make a, tra- a trap for Jerry on the Tom and Jerry show. Cat and Mouse, for you guys that are maybe too young to remember who Tom and Jerry were or remember them when they didn't talk. They were just, you know, running around in music, and, and it was funny. You know, it was actually humorous when we watched Tom and Jerry when I was a kid. And they would make this elaborate trap, and it would start out like you'd roll a marble, and all this stuff would go, and eventually... Uh, 50 different things would happen and something heavy would fall. And, of course, instead of falling on the mouse, it would always fall on the cat that set the trap up. That's how taxes work. You put money in motion, and the very motion sets off a chain reaction of taxation. Let me explain that. Let's do a little game we've done before here. Let's follow a taxpayer, a citizen for a day, and see how much taxation one taxpayer can create in a typical day of just going to work and coming home and maybe having a little recreation in between. Key thing to keep in mind, I'm going to miss a lot of things along the way, even though I'm going to do my best. Let's, uh, since we're talking about Tom and Jerry, let's use the name Tom. So Tom wakes up this morning, and uh, like most people, he has uh, good hygiene habits. So the first thing he does is he goes and he brushes his teeth, he takes his shower, uh, he shaves and does all that good stuff. So he's not paying taxes, right? Wrong. When he got up, he turned on a light switch that generated electricity. He paid a tax on the electricity. He also turned on the water. Assuming his water comes from municipal water sources, he's paying for the water, but he's also paying a tax surcharge on the water. So he's paid taxes just by walking from his bedroom to the bathroom. He comes downstairs using more electricity to turn lights on in his house to create evil carbon so he can see what the hell he's doing, opens his refrigerator, makes himself up a bit of breakfast. Whatever food he's purchased has generated tax throughout the distribution chain of that food, so he's consuming the tax that he created earlier at that point by consuming food. Whatever energy he uses, such as the the, uh, the toaster, the oven, the microwave, what have you, to prepare his breakfast, he's created more taxes. So... He now goes out, gets into his car, fires it up, looks at the gas tank. It's almost empty, so he stops at the gas station on the way to work. Fills up the car. He's just paid gas tax. Goes into the store, buys a cup of coffee. Coffee doesn't come with tax because it's food, but he's put money into the flow of the store. That creates a, a chain reaction of taxes that we won't even go into right now. Comes back outside, gets in his car, burning fuel all the way to work, creating the evil carbon once again, of course, generating tax dollars along the way. Comes to a portion of the road that's a toll road, pays a toll, there's another tax. 
gets to the office, walks in the office, turns on the light, and there goes energy as employers paying the tax. He's created it, though. Fires up his computer, starts doing his job. Lunchtime comes. Didn't bring lunch with him, so he goes downstairs to the cafeteria, buys the food at the cafeteria. Since the food was prepared for him, instead of being bought just as plain food, there's sales tax on the food. The energy used to cook the food also generated a tax. The lights in the room where he's sitting eating his food was also used to pay a tax, right? Created a tax. Now, Tom's a smoker. I don't think Tom should be, but in my story he is, so I'm going to give him lung cancer. He goes outside, fires up a couple cigarettes, smoked those. He just paid like a 700% tax. He has his couple cigarettes, pops a piece of gum in his mouth, chews it up to clean his breath, paid a tax on that too, walks back upstairs, spends energy, electricity for the rest of the day. Of course, he earns income. The income that he earns, he pays the most tax of all on. He also pays Social Security tax, and his employer has to match his Social Security tax dollar for dollar. Cool, huh? So then Tom goes downstairs, forgets to turn off his computer at the end of the day. It runs all night long, drawing electricity for the employer, creating evil carbon and generating more energy taxes. On the way home, he's burning tax dollars all the way as he spends the fuel in his car and decides, hell, I've had a tough week. I'm going to stop and get a six-pack of beer, and I'm going to go fishing before I go home and see my wife and kids. And just spend about an hour at one of the local ponds. So he stops at the gas station that also happens to be Earl's Bait Shop. He buys a six-pack of beer. He pays tax on that. Earl makes money. Earl pays taxes. Of course, Earl also sells him some worms. I don't know if there's sales tax on worms or not. Let's say that was a cash transaction, and he slightly reduced his uh, tax footprint for the day. Heads over to the lake, and hopefully he's paid for a fishing license. If he has, he's paid a tax. If he has not, he will probably get a fine and pay a much bigger tax. Spends his, uh, his hour fishing, comes home, spends tax dollars all the way back home, walks in, Figures, hey, I better check email from work since I ducked out a bit early today for some fishing. Goes into his office, turns on his lights, tax, 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 tax all the way. That's it. And I missed them. Well, that's the taxes created by one person. And every time they do something with financial activity, it creates a chain reaction of other taxation. There is no place and no time in our nation where money moves that it's not taxed in some way, shape, or form. Or if it's not directly taxed when it moves, for instance, the purchase of a tomato from the grocery store is not taxed because it's food. It's exempt. But it had to get there. It had to be refrigerated. And then money that flows into that store is then used to purchase or pay purchase other things or pay employees, and that generates tax. So as long as money moves, tax goes. That's how it works in our economy. Even without a national sales tax, of course, which they think is now a good idea and they want one, but not in replacement of, you know, income taxes, but in addition to. That'd be great, huh? So with all of this, does it start to feel like, damn, there's nothing I can do? Well, I've got a great big list of things that you can do to reduce your tax footprint. So now that I've agitated the problem, let's go into the solution. And I'll be honest with you, there's no perfect solution, there's no way out of everything, but there are things that we can do to start to take conscious control of our contributions. If there's a lot of things your government's doing that you don't like, understand that every time you pay a dime in tax, you're generating 20 cents. Every time you pay a dollar, you're generating two in revenues. Every time you give them 10, you're giving them 20. When you give them 20,000, you're giving them 40,000. And they're using that money to do the exact things that you don't want. So start to take a conscious view of what you're doing with your money and your efforts. So here's some things that we can do. Number one, starting with the income tax, take every legal deduction you can possibly take. And think about ways to create deductions along the way. Um, I'm not a huge fan of tax-deferred retirement accounts, but there is some advantage there, and I do think some of your money goes there. Um, but really, one of the best ways you can pay less taxes is to create a small business. You create a small business and you can kind of flip the rules around on the government and there's a lot of things that you would purchase anyway that then become part of the operations of the business. So where most Americans earn, pay tax, and spend what's left, when you're a business owner, you earn, you spend a portion, pay tax on what remains, and then spend what you keep after taxes. So you have two points at which you're spending. So it's not a perfect solution. It is a two-edged sword. Let me tell you some of the 
the problems with, I guess, owning your own business, running your own business. Unless you earn a lot of money in your primary job, you're not going to reach the cap on your Social Security taxes, and you're going to find out just how high Social Security taxes are. Instead of paying 6%, you'll pay 12 You'll get a little bit of a break on your federal income tax with that, but the reality is that if you earn, let's say, uh, $10,000 in profit from a, a small business, not total gross, but profit, you're going to pay Social Security taxes on that of about $1,200 versus the 600 you would pay if it was earned income with your employer doing the match. Say that again. You earn $10,000 profit in a business. You are going to pay under Schedule C uh, with, uh, with your business income and self-employment income. You're going to pay about $1,200 just the Social Security tax. So when people say that a business actually creates a tax break, uh, it can, but you can only lose business, lose money with a business for so long, even on paper. Uh, so even if you're not really losing, if it's a family loss, you can even only get away with that so, for so long. But if you're making more money and you're actually making a profit and you're creating a lot of deductions along the way, it often is very advantageous to have your own business. And it's an additional step towards stability. With the Internet today, there's no reason that not everybody out there could have their own business. And on the Internet, you can be a, a writer and a publisher. Uh, you can be a publisher of video content or audio content or a writer of written content with blogging. And as long as you attempt to make a profit uh, and as long as you write about things, you can make almost anything tax deductible. Uh, I had a guy put it to me this way. Don't take this as tax advice because I don't know if it's true. Uh, but he said basically, I could, he, since he ran a blog that just reviewed everything, that he could go out and buy toilet paper and wipe his butt with it and write a review and deduct it. I don't know if that's true or not, but... I do know that writers have a tremendous, and content uh, reviewers have a tremendous amount of flexibility with deductions. Uh, I actually put together a site one time reviewing wine, and I was going to do uh, tax deductions on the wine that I was drinking, and it was just too much effort for me with all the other things I was doing. But I asked my accountant, and she said she could see absolutely nothing wrong with it. So I'd go out and buy a new bottle of wine, do a review of it, post the review online. You can even... Uh, it was all low-end wine, so it was called $10wine.com. The site's still up there. If you Google inexpensive wine, uh, you'll find it as the first listing. That was, uh, that was a small business that I did a long time ago uh, that was designed to create a tax deduction. It just never became that. But that's the type of thing that you can do if you do nothing else. Take something that you do anyway that would be like a hobby, try to derive, and legitimately try to derive income from. Sell a little uh, ebook on the site. Uh, put Google AdWords on the site so you have advertising income. As long as you have some income, the expenses can outweigh the income, and you can do that for a long time. Uh, if you have zero income, uh, then you, you get into the question, are you trying to make a profit? You have to have some income generated. But running a small business, great way to create some additional uh, tech, uh, deductions on the income. The next one is install alternative energy. And I'm not talking about the tax rebates. Um, when you buy the product, when you take the product in, when you, uh, when you install the product, you're actually still contributing to your tax footprint. Uh, the carbon footprint people will be happy with you, but, uh, you have an installer come in and install a $20,000 solar array and you get, uh, what, would you get $8,000 off, no, $4,000 off on that. Um, yeah, you know, you, you've gotten a little bit of a tax rebate, but you're still, you're still outlaid 16 grand. And money flows, so the tax grows, right? But, from that point on, every watt produced by that solar array is not taxable as energy back to the government. You put in a solar hot water heater, which you can do on your own for next to nothing with salvaged parts, and every time you're heating that water with the sun, not only are you not spending money, but you're not paying tax on it. And just about anything that you do with alternative energy will reduce taxation and reduce your contribution in your tax footprint. So even putting in a greenhouse so that you're now able to grow plants at a time of year where normally you would have to bring them inside to grow them and you create additional space, but you're not spending energy is a tax footprint reduction. So anything you can do to reduce electricity, gasoline, um, utilities, water, hell, a rain barrel, folks. Put a rain barrel in that. Cut your tax footprint. Why? You're not turning on the municipal water. If you have the means, put a well in on your property. If you have water rights and you live in a place where you can do it, now you're not using the municipal water. Put in a septic tank. Sure, there's the cash outlay, 
right? And that to me, these are all alternative energy because they're alternative utility, okay? So they're not classic alternative energy, but if I don't pay the sewer bill and the taxes that go with that and the fees that go with that, and I don't pay a water bill and I don't pay the full electric bill because I'm using some sort of uh, solar or wind energy plus uh, solar water heating, I- I've greatly reduced my tax footprint. And it's another incentive to do these things, which, of course, as modern survivalists, we want the independence that comes from them anyway. But few of us sell, you know, few of us will really sit and think about the fact that we're also withdrawing our contribution to the systems uh, that we've come to loathe when we do these things. The next one is barter whenever you can. When you barter for something, whether it's you going to go over, you're a, you're, a, you're a drywall guy, and uh, a buddy of yours has a set of old golf clubs, and he says, hey, um, I'd sell you these golf clubs for 200 bucks, and it's a good deal, right? Maybe they're a $500 bag of clubs. But even then, cash flows, tax grows, right? So if you said to him, hey, you know, I noticed that you have that one room you've been working on for a long time. I'm a drywall guy. How about I come in there and drywall your room for you, and uh, you give me the clubs? That's a better tax reduction strategy than even buying them used, paying cash. Because now there's not a cash flow there. The cash flow has been reduced now. There's less money he's going to spend because he's not going to go pay somebody else to do it. He's not going to take the surplus $200 and go blow it. He just got his bag of clubs. You got your drywall. I actually made that exchange in Pennsylvania. I had a room I needed drywalled. One of my son's best friend's father was a drywall guy. I gave him a bag of clubs. He took care of uh, the, the room for me. So barter whenever you can. Barter in networks, barter outside of networks, talk to people. Um, you'd be amazed at what you can do with barter, especially if you have a skill, especially if you're like a computer guy. If you're a programmer or a designer or a developer, there are so many businesses out there that need a better website, that need something added to their website. You could just go look at their website and go, hey, if you had a, a calculation tool and if you're a basic PHP programmer, you could knock that out in a day and say, hey, look, I need tax services, for example. How about I set up uh, a really kick-ass calculator for your customers on your website, something I would normally charge $2,000 for, and uh, you do my taxes this year and next year, make sure I get the best refund I can get. There's a million ways to barter that don't always have to be inside a barter network, and use the barter networks as, as well, and all forms of barter. Remember, uh, heirloomseedswap.com, run by Johnny Max, Trading Seeds. So you're not, you know, so that you're, you're, again, you're reducing cash flow. There are so many ways to do that. So barter whenever you can. Next, we were talking about seeds there at the end. Grow your own food. When you grow your own food, it's, to me, it's not about reducing my carbon footprint. I could care how much carbon I exhale. But it does reduce my tax footprint. When I go out in my garden today for lunch, right after I get done with this show, I'm going to make my salad for lunch and I'll eat it a couple hours later. Uh, I'm going to go out there and cut up a bunch of beautiful lettuce and spinach that's still producing from the winter crops. And I've got a few things from the summer starting to come in. And so I'll put some, maybe some parsley and some fresh basil in there. And I uh, don't have any tomatoes or anything like that. But I'll basically make a salad for myself in my backyard. There's no gas tax on that because I didn't have to drive anywhere. There's no energy tax. I don't cook it. There's There's no cash flow. So the tax doesn't grow. And it is that simple. And um, if I was not a legal a law-abiding citizen, a couple roasted doves might not be bad in there, but they're not in season, even though I'm watching them out the window right now. But tell you what, if you have a piece of property where you can do some hunting and harvest some of your own game, then again, that is not generating taxes. I guess the hunting license does, but a lot of that money goes toward wildlife conservation, which is one of the things I choose to support. So another thing that we can start doing about our taxes is realizing that sometimes we're going to pay a tax, but if it's going into something we actually support, we'd rather have our money go there than into another department where we have no control or knowledge of what's actually done with that money. So growing your own food is a big one. On the food thing, though, you can only grow so much of your own food. So buy from local growers and local uh, uh, producers of even uh, meat. Uh, as well, like local butchers, a guy maybe has a small poultry operation or something like that, where you can still find them. They're hard to find now, but there are still still some out there. And here's the big thing. When you buy from them, don't write them a check. Don't give them a credit card. Pay them in cash. What they do with the cash is their business, but I'll tell you what I think most of them are going to do with the cash. Put it in their pocket and forget about it. 
All right? I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying that, you know, when you pay cash, it's not your responsibility to report it. It's the person that's received it. So you pay a local, you pay a local farmer and you go buy a hundred dollars worth of produce from them this month so that you can preserve it and create your own preserved foods and you give him a hundred dollar bill. What do you think he's going to do? All right. And then additionally, when you do that, you've bought your own food and you've grown your, you've bought your food from local growers with cash. Or barter for it where you can. Is there something you can offer them in exchange? Always look for the barter option. And you've grown your own food, and then you process your own food in a dehydrated or canned or frozen, and you put that away as a storable, then that portion of your preps has also not contributed to the tax system, and your tax footprint has been further reduced. Next one. Um, I like to drink beer. I like to drink wine, and I don't think you should smoke. But if you're going to smoke, I'm going to put it all in together. Make your own beer, make your own wine, and grow your own tobacco. The, the, the tax on tobacco has gotten insane. Tobacco is not a complicated plant to grow. And here in America, when it comes to uh, tobacco, we grow some of the best tobacco in the world. So if you're going to poison your lungs and you're going to give yourself cancer, grow your own damn tobacco and do it that way. Maybe you'll smoke less if you have to put a little bit more work into it. And you'll probably actually be smoking, a God, I hate to say it this way, a healthier tobacco. Because God knows what crap they put in cigarettes. You know that there's additives that go into cigarettes because no one cares because people write off smokers anyway. Again, I think you should stop smoking. I really do. Uh, I'm the occasional cigar smoker. At least I used to be. I've even cut that out. But uh, but the cigarette thing, it's going to kill you folks. But if you're going to do it, don't pay the government with it. On beer and wine, very, very easy to learn how to brew beer and to make wine especially wine, and wine is even more powerful because you can make wine out of so many things that you can you can grow for yourself and produce for yourself and you don't have to purchase. Growing your own wheat or barley and malting it and full mash and all, kind of a pain in the ass for the home brewer. So you're still buying malt or you're still buying at least, uh, you know, barley or, or, or what have you. So there's a limitation there, but you can really, really make wines easily and about the only thing you need to purchase is sugar, which is dirt cheap and considered a food, uh, so not at least directly taxable. So there's a lot you can do with that to reduce, and these all reduce what I call sin taxes. And in any place that you're paying what you would call a sin tax, you know, the taxes that everybody that doesn't participate doesn't care about, look for ways that you can, you know, do them yourselves. And, you know, why not make wine? It's legal. There's nothing illegal about it. It's not like I'm, t- I'm telling you to go out and, you know, uh, make moonshine and sell it on the black market. That would be an illegal activity. We don't do that here. But making wine for your own personal consumption is completely and totally legal. Easy to do, and it's a valuable skill to have. Reduce the tax footprint, increase independence, directly and indirectly on both sides. Okay. The next one is, and I think that the carbon footprint, footprint people will be happy with me for this one, and that's drive a primary car that's highly fuel efficient. You know, we need to pull boats, and we need to haul things, and we need we need power occasionally. And I'm not just saying we in total, but my personal household. I've got a boat, I've got an RV, and I've got this big piece of land in Arkansas, and I do a lot of work, and I need a truck. And I have a truck, and we use a truck, and we use it for those purposes. But when I was driving 50 miles to work and back every day, 100 miles round trip, I was driving my Jetta. And when we run around on the weekends and we go to the mall or we, you know, I don't really go to the mall, but we go to the store uh, or we go see somebody, we always take the Jetta. Why? More fuel efficient. Saves money. But I also feel like I'm getting over on the tax people. See, I get 44 miles to the gallon with that. And it takes away one of the biggest taxes that's hidden that people don't think about, the tax we pay at the gas pump, or in my case, the diesel fuel pump. So drive that highly fuel efficient car. Keep it well maintained and drive it for a very long time. You know how they say, oh, wealthy people lease their vehicles. That's because they trade them in every two years. Take good care of your vehicles. Vehicles today easily go 10 years. You drive that vehicle, highly fuel-efficient vehicle, for 10 years. Keep it well-maintained. And what do you not do? You don't pay sales tax on a very expensive purchase, a vehicle, every two to three years. Or surcharges. There are all the other taxes that go with buying a vehicle, new tags, etc. So do that. Get that highly fuel-efficient vehicle and run it into the ground. You can drive them 15, 20 years if you want to. Uh, my truck right now is uh, eight years old, and I really don't plan on getting rid of it other than I would like something with a bit more pulling power now that I have an RV. So if I do, it'll be for more power, 
It won't be because the vehicle's too old or out of, you know, not well taken care of or anything like that. The Jetta? Jetta's got under 100,000 miles on it yet, folks. It's paid for and it's been paid for for a year and a half. Two years. Two years it's been paid for. I'll drive that car till the wheels fall off because the motor will outlast the body in one of those. And I'll pay taxes when I absolutely have to and not until I have to. There's really a case to be made for increasing your fuel economy and fuel efficiency beyond saving planet Earth. It's about saving yourself money and reducing your contribution to your governments, overlords, and masters. Um, here's, a, here's a crazy one. Why not camp when you travel instead of go staying in hotels? You know how many taxes you pay when you stay in a hotel? It's insane. It's taxed and taxed and taxed. Especially if you get a rental car when you get there. You pay a tax. And if you fly there, pay a tax on the airlines. Pay a tax service fee. And you've got to pay for your bags. And remember, all the money that flows creates a taxation that grows. Right? So the more you spend, the more taxes you create, even if they're not directly applied to you. And then you have less money. So if instead of, you know, spending a lot of money to fly halfway across the country, buying, getting a rental car, getting a hotel room, you pack the kids up and go a couple hours out into the country and go camping, not only do you spend less money, but you pay less taxes as well. Just something to think about. I don't have anything against the occasional nice trip. Uh, we haven't been to Sanibel, Florida for a long time. We'll probably go again soon because we love it there. And I'll have to bite the bullet and say I'm paying taxes here. But it's not our routine to pay a lot of taxes because it's not our routine to spend a lot of money. You see, as you save money, you cut taxes. We'll finish up with why that's important to understand. Um, the next thing, though, make sure you file homestead exemptions on property. I don't know how many people there are out there that are paying too much in property taxes. Um, filing a homestead exemption on my property where I live right here in Arlington, Texas, saved us uh, almost $2,000 a year in property taxes. We feel it still pay way too much. But it cut our taxes by two grand. Now, I never really cut them because we never paid it at the high. We did the homestead exemption right up front with the property purchase. It's pretty easy to do. But it does get left out by a lot of folks. And if you don't do it, you're going to pay more. And you're going to pay a lot more. So make sure you're filing the uh, homestead exemption on your property. Next is buy rural land, either to live at or for investment purposes. Because either way, you have very low property taxes on that land. And the thing about rural land, with the property taxes you do pay, they're generally going into very small local governments that are generally a lot more efficient with the things that they're doing because they have to be. So if I'm going to have to contribute my property tax dollars to someone, I would rather you know contribute it to, let's say, Garland County or Hot Spring County, Arkansas. Um, than to contribute it to a place like Tarrant County, Texas, or Mansfield, Texas, or Arlington, Texas, all of whom get a piece of my property taxes here in Arlington. And that's just another way to do things. So either living in a place with low property taxes, or if you're going to buy land for investment, again, I think rural land is one of the best investments you can make right now. Uh, one of the best buy and hold investments you can make right now is just raw rural land, and you have low taxation on that investment. Very, very low, with a real opportunity to either use it in the future for yourself or to sell it indeed at a profit in the future. Of course, you'll pay tax on the profit, but we, again, we can only do what we can do here. Um, the next one is, and this is very, very important, find your properties at assessed value. I want you, if, especially if you haven't ever been down to your county courthouse, or as my dad used to call it, the county clown house, um, to get recent sell prices of all the property in your neighborhood, how long it was on the market, what it sold for, comparable analysis. You have a three-bedroom, two-bath, six three-bedroom, two-bath sold in the last six months in your neighborhood and what they sold for. Take that information, take your your property's assessed value, and if there's a big discrepancy, more than 2 or 3%, you know, if it's 10% or greater, go down to the clown house and spend a couple hours down there arguing with those people. It may not work. You may not get your property's value reassessed at a lower price, but give it a shot anyway and take your neighbors with you. Go down there six, seven, eight of you at one time. Say we're all from the same neighborhood. We all have similar houses and you're full of shit and we're paying too much. Fight that value assessment on your property. Always fight it. Now, be smart. Please be smart about this. Don't ask for trouble where it's not required. And what do I mean by that? Um, 
I used to live in this place, and I got a assessed property value one time, and it went up quite a bit from the previous year. And I looked at it and said, that can't possibly be right. That's gone up too much. And I was going to go down and fight it. And the first thing I did is what I've just advised you to do. I did an assessed value of the property. How much is this property worth uh, based on comparable properties that it sold in the neighborhood? And the reality was property values really had increased. And they had jacked up my assessed value by about 10%. And the comparables had sold for about 25% higher. So I'm not going to go poke that hornet's nest, right? Because that might, oh, yeah, Mr. Spirico, you're right. Yeah, uh, uh, we need to raise your assessed value even higher. So be smart about that. But right now, that's almost impossible in most of the country. In most places, the real estate market is on its back. Fight the assessed value of your property wherever it makes sense. And do it coordinated. And you know what? Go down there with five neighbors. And when they tell you no, come back with ten. And when they tell you no, say, you know what? We can come back with twenty. We're, we're gaining momentum here. This is a scam, and we know it. You can either do it for the 10 of us. We'll be back with 20 next week. Don't be nasty, but be honest. Use words like sir and ma'am when you're speaking to them. Be very, very polite. Sir, I really think that we have a discrepancy here, and I believe there's some assessment value that could be made up. And I believe if we keep pushing this, you're going to have no choice. I showed up yesterday, you know, I showed up a couple weeks ago alone. I showed up a couple days later with five people from my neighborhood. I'm here today with 10. It's reasonable to assume that I might come back with 20. 20 that are going to have the exact same paperwork that I do, based on the exact same comparable analysis that I have. I haven't even gone out and got an, a, a paid for an appraisal yet. But I, I'm thinking about doing that next. You know, I, I think we can either work something out or we're going to have to keep pushing this because I'm not going to go away. That's called peaceful revolution, folks. Remember, the new song that's coming is called The Revolution Is You, and that can be taken in a lot more than one ways. Uh, for those who are not sure what I'm talking about, I announced this a while ago. Greg Yos of Revolution Rock and Roll is writing a song. I've actually heard the final words and everything and uh, kind of the final cut before it's kind of tuned up and all the instrumentation is added and all, uh, and it's an awesome song. It's going to become our new theme song. So another day, another dollar, we'll go back to what it was before I was using it, uh, which is just some guy's music out there, and uh, the, the theme song for the show is going to become The Revolution Is You. And you might want to check out Greg's site, again, revolutionrockandroll.com. But I'll tell you what, that's part of a revolution. And that's what we need people doing. Do you know how many people could be doing that tomorrow morning? All over America, fighting that assessed value, very, very peacefully, with, with paperwork in hand. That's just one form of revolution, folks. And it also reduces what? Your tax footprint. All right, next thing is, let's go to something totally different. I you should be reloading your own ammunition and you should be casting your own bullets. Um, there are certain bullets you'll have to buy. If you want a, a well-constructed big-game bullet, you need to buy that. You can do a lot of your practicing with just plain Jane lead bullets. And you can get lead for next to nothing. You can go to uh, tire shops and get old wheel weights. They'll, a lot of times they'll give them to you because it's considered a toxin if they have to dump it. There is some value to it, uh, too, if they take it to a scrapyard, so you may have to pay them a little bit. But generally speaking, you can get all the lead you want for next to nothing. There's a lot of ways to come up with lead. A little bit of tin and a little bit of casting material and some bullet molds, and all of a sudden you don't have to buy bullets anymore, and the only thing you're paying for are powder and primers. And you reuse those cases over and over and over and over again. And your cartridge cases, if you don't, you know, get, don't have to load them to maximum loads, folks. If you load them to, you know, two, three loads under maximum for your practicing, which is the majority of your shooting, um, those cases have huge case lives. If you always push them to maximum loadings, uh, then, you know, you reduce your case lives significantly. You have to buy cases more often. But even cartridge casings, take a trip to the rifle range. You'd be amazed at how much range brass is just sitting there waiting to be picked up and utilized. So there's a tremendous savings because ammunition has a tax, a pretty big one. So if Tom, instead of went fishing at the end of his day, went by the pistol range and fired off two boxes of ammunition, he also paid taxes there. And he also contributed to the tax uh, system because he's put money into the range and other things like that, right? So remember, wherever you're spending money, you cut the spending, you reduce your tax contributions. The next one... 
And I think this is really something that you need to consider, and I've been telling you to do it for a long time, but I've never presented the tax side of it. That is invest in metals, specifically silver and gold, and small quantity cash buys over time. You can sell up to 30 ounces of American Silver Eagles with a 1099 on the honor system. I'll let you do what you want with that knowledge. Okay, which means that if today I decided I needed to go out and sell some silver for some cash, and I went out and sold 30 Silver Eagles, the only way I'm going to pay taxes on it, if on my honor I create my own 1099 and submit it. Again, you do what you want with that knowledge. And if we ever end up in a place where our government goes into complete decay and the economy erodes, having that metal is a store of value. Uh, when currency revalues itself, and every fiat currency in the history of mankind has revalued itself. So there's an opportunity there to have income by having new value currency based on old metal. And there'll probably be an opportunity if we ever get into that thing to not pay any tax on the gain because the gain is nothing because as far as anybody knows, you lost. Right? Which of course you really did. That's complicated. Let's make it much more simple. Here's the big thing with buying metal. Metal purchases help you avoid the inflation tax. The biggest tax that you pay, the one that no one talks about except Ron Paul, the one we haven't even talked about yet today is the inflation tax. Let me explain to you the way the inflation tax actually works to make it, to make it real, to make you feel it a little bit. Let's say that you save up $100,000 in cash and you're real proud of yourself. You're happy. That's a big accomplishment. And you say, I'm going to get over on everything. I'm not going to have this in the bank. I know I won't earn any interest, but I'm not going to lose a penny. I'm going to put this in $20 bills in nice bundles, and I'm going to stuff my mattress with it. And I'm going to put that $100,000 in my mattress, and it will always be there, and if I need it, I can go get it. Well, if inflation this year is 4%, the value of your $100,000 just went down by $4,000. It is exactly like the tax man coming to your house, going into your room, and pulling $4,000 out of your mattress and leaving. The next year, it's another 4% um, inflation rate. It's a little bit less than $4,000, call it $3,800. He goes in there, he takes $3,800. Next year, inflation rate's 5%. That's about four grand on what's left. Another $4,000 comes out, right? You're now down to 80, what, 86000 87000 something like that. I don't know. I'm not keeping up with the math there. You can go ahead and do it yourself. Call it 87000 88000 but in three years, you've paid $12,000 in hidden tax called inflation. Now, you'd say, how does the government benefit by that? By devaluing the money, they reduce the, um, the cost of debt to themselves. So that huge national debt now costs them less to pay off because they print their own money. So that's why we have a constant raising of prices. That's why we have a constant desire for the government to make the money flow, because it creates taxes and it creates inflation. And as long as there's inflation, and as long as they can keep the inflation running but keep it in check, 2, 3, 4% a year, they can force people to stay in the gerbil wheel, they can force you to work until you're 69 and a half or 72 or whatever in some crap job you don't want. They can force you to do the things they want you to do, and they can force you to spend your money as long as they keep that inflation high enough, but not too high. Very delicate balancing act that they do there. And all it ends up being is a tax. And that's all inflation is, folks. You just see the price of items going up. I'm telling you that they're taxing the money that you're holding by devaluing it so that they can use it with greater leverage. It might be hard to understand. If you're not an economics-type person, if you're not real good with mathematics, that might be difficult. You're going to you're gonna just have to trust me on it. If you hold $10,000 in your hand today, and we have 5% inflation this year, at the end of the year, that $10,000 is now worth $9,500 in reality. You just paid a $500 tax. I can't make it any more simple than that. So, if we pay inflation tax... One of the biggest things that we can do is convert our cash into long-term assets that hold value. Whether it's a house, whether it's a really well-built car that we're going to drive for 15 to 20 years instead of two to three, whether it's metal, whether it's an alternative energy generation system, whether it's any of the things that we've ever talked about that allow us to be self-sufficient and independent, 
that will cost more in the future. We spend the cash today, but instead of spending it the way the government, the government wants you to buy crap. Because crap gets recycled. Crap creates cash flow. Crap creates more revenue. Why do you think we import so much low-cost crap from China and Taiwan and at one time Japan? Why do you think we're always importing low-end crap? Do you think it's because our government thinks you need it? That they think, oh, if we don't do this, people won't be able to afford stuff? No. It's because if we import crap and it's cheap, you spend your money fast. You don't hold your money. If you go back and you look at the history of the collapse of fiat currencies, like our dollar, here's what always happens. The government starts out with real money, gold and silver. They go to paper money backed by gold and silver. They reduce the backing to a fraction. So instead of being backed 100% by gold and silver, the paper goes to a 50% backing, then maybe a 25% backing. Eventually, they go to zero backing. No metal no real no real money behind the currency. So we convert it from, you know, right now you look at your money and that's you think it's money. It's not money. It's currency. There's a difference. All money is currency, but not all currency is money. Okay? So with no metal behind it, all the dollar now is is currency. That's the step toward oblivion. And then, over time, the value of that currency gets devalued and devalued and devalued. And the money buys less and less and less. Think about what you could have bought in 1960 with a dollar and what you can buy today with a, with a single dollar. That inflation tax has taken its toll over the years. And sooner or later, this leads to what? Economic turmoil. And this nation that started printing its own money, and this goes back to the time of like the Greeks and the Romans, they did the same thing we did. Decides, with all this new wealth, we can change the world. And they start doing foreign imperialism, occupation, and military campaigns. And they do legitimate business campaigns as well throughout the known world, which today is the whole world. And they extend themselves further and further. And every time they get in trouble, they inflate and print. And in our case, they don't even print the money anymore. They just put it into a computer. And sooner or later, the population starts to freak out. Because intrinsically as humans, we know that this counterfeiting game can't go on forever. And eventually, what happens? Everybody sits on their money and stops spending it. That's what caused our recession. There was plenty of money out there. People didn't spend it. There was more money during the recession than there was 10 years ago. A lot more. All you do is look at the M2 and M3 money supply. More cash in flow. But it didn't flow. It was held. And it's not just the big evil banker that was holding the money. You stopped spending your money. What happens after that? Sooner or later... The government finds a way through bullshit to restore confidence. And when they restore confidence, this huge reserve of money that has stopped flowing cuts loose and it starts getting spent into the economy. And it creates what looks like a great big boom. And what comes with the boom? Runaway inflation. That's when hyperinflation hits. And that can only happen once or twice, maybe three times with a big economy, that they can pull it back in, and sooner or later you get to the last one, and it runs away, and you have the Weimar Republic like Germany did after World War I. Or you have the Roman Empire falling, which wasn't because their roads were too long and their empire got too big. The Roman Empire fell because of fiat currency. And that's what happens, and it's happened over and over and over again. If you want a good read on it, go take a look at Rich Dad's Guide to Investing in Gold and Silver. And you can read a lot of the history of other currencies that have fallen because of that. And you know what happens in those situations? The people that are holding gold and silver or real estate tend to be okay. Real estate takes a hit initially, but eventually it rebounds because there's always value to owning land. Gold and silver have always been worth something. And they get, end up, sooner or later, they have to create a new currency. And at that point, if you want to use the new currency, you can use gold and silver to purchase it, or you can use gold and silver to purchase directly. But it still comes down to the gold and silver in real estate, real long-term asset value. So that as that entire process is running, because let's be honest, I don't know when the last big drop will be. It could be 20 years from now. It could be 50 years from now. It could be 10 years from now. It could be 100 years from now. Sooner or later, this thing's going to blow up, and there's going to be a lot of those cycles in between. And that inflation is just going to keep ratcheting up, ratcheting up, ratcheting up. 
and the value of your money is going to keep going down, and what it buys is going to keep going down. And the fool says, so borrow money. Borrowing money is how to beat inflation. No, borrowing money is how to be a slave. The fool says, blow your money. No, that's how you get nothing. I'm telling you, invest your money in long-term assets so that you're spending less willingly because you have everything that you need. Buy things that last and produce for you. Turn your home into that homestead. Get yourself out of the cycle. And once you've done that, that tax footprint starts to shrink down to a big toe. Next, it's important we've talked about it, but I want to reiterate it before I wrap up here today. Understand the concept of cash flows equals tax grows. Whenever you spend money, you're contributing to the tax coffers. I don't care if you give money to a nonprofit organization and deduct it. And that is another good way to reduce your taxes. But when you give money to a nonprofit, sooner or later they spend it and it goes back into the cycle. I'm not saying not to do it. I'm just saying get your head around the concept that as soon as money leaves your hand and goes somewhere else, it creates more tax. And more tax creates more government. And we're living in a world of deficits where at this point every dollar creates $2 in governmental power. And when they spend their two, and it comes back eventually into our economy, and it gets spent again, it creates four. And that's why you see our money supply growing out of control right now. It's it's reached an exponential growth curve. And they'll tell you that it's the fool that saves his money. I'll tell you it's the wise man that saves his money up to a point and converts it into those long-term assets and understands flat out that when he spends his money, He's contributing to a system, and maybe a system that he doesn't like. So please keep that in your head as you make decisions going forward. When you spend money, there's two questions I want you to ask yourself. And the first one is, and the most important one, because it has the most direct impact on you. When I spend this money, is it the most efficient spending of the money that I can do? Will this purchase be the best purchase for me over the next year, two years, three years, or four. And that might be a little bit difficult to grasp what I'm saying here, but what I'm saying is, let's say you were going to go out and buy a new car. You decide you're going to buy a new car. And you're choosing between, let's say, a Kia, a nice one, fully loaded for about 19000 and in my case, a Jetta, a $25,000, $26,000 Jetta diesel. Which one of those cars is still going to be running well for you in 10 years? So you might have to spend a little bit more up front, contribute a little more to the tax system up front, but which one is going to be the better long-term investment? And I don't care if it's a garden hose. You've got a 50-foot garden hose that's cheap for 9 bucks, folks, it won't last a season. You've got a 50-foot garden hose for 29 bucks with a lifetime warranty, that's what you buy. You buy the best you can afford under the circumstances. And if your choice is between doing without and waiting so you can buy something of higher quality and longer lasting time, then save up the money to buy the better quality item and make do until you can do that. And do that in all the things that you do. The next thing I want you to ask yourself whenever you're going to spend money, exactly how will this contribute to the tax system? Exactly where will this money end up in the hands of government? And I'm not saying when you say, oh, this is going to end up at the state capital or whatever, I'm not going to buy it now. I'm just saying just know. Just be conscious. Be aware. If you do that, here's what's going to happen. This is going to be like magic. If you do that for a year, a year from now, you'll have the best quality items you've ever purchased in your life, and you'll have more money. You'll have more cash. You'll not only have more cash, you'll have more assets. You will magnify your personal portfolio. And you will reduce the crap that you're recycling money through. And it is that easy. It's probably the best way in the world to become wealthy. It's just by asking those two questions. This is the absolute best thing that I can afford for myself long term as an investment. Will it hold value? And do I really want to do this? And if I do, what am I giving up? So, again, you know, I want to go fishing. Some of that's going to go to taxes. I'm still going to buy a fishing license. I want to drive to the lake. I'm going to buy gas. I'm going to pay gas tax. But I'm at least going to think about it so that I decide, yeah, this is how I'm going to do this. Because sometimes you're going to spend money on something and you just go, you know what, I don't want this to go to the government. And there's another way. There's another way to do this. There's a better way to do this. So I'm going to choose option B. 
Because what happens is it's just like why America's fat. You know why we're fat today? You can blame McDonald's. You can blame Burger King. You can blame Taco Bell. And I guess they get some blame. But you have to look at it this way. We've gotten to a point in America today where we eat without thought. We eat while we're working. We sit down and we eat a bag of potato chips while we're watching TV. We don't think before we put something in our mouth. If we would just do that, we would curb a lot of our problems almost overnight. We also spend money that way now. We don't think. We just If we have enough, we just spend it. We impulse buy all the time. And I'm t- asking you to take a different look at the impulse buy today. A different understanding. An understanding that every time you go, we pay too much damn taxes. I hate my government. I can't stand what they're doing. I am so fed up with those clowns in Washington. And then we walk out and we do something that generates over the next couple of months several thousand dollars in taxes so that we can get more of what we hate. I'm just asking you to think about it today. Take some of the steps that I gave you. You're not going to take them all. It's okay if you don't take them all. You don't have to take them all. It's not necessary. Just take a few at a time. But above all, ask yourself those two big questions. Is there a better item for me to purchase, or do I really need this? What is going to give me the most long-term return on my investment of money? Exactly how am I benefiting government by making this, this purchase? Do that. Not only will you reduce your tax footprint, but you'll be on your way to living that better life. This has been Jack Spear, go with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life. Times get tough. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.